Okay, and we're back for episode two of the Goal Line Podcast. And I am joined here today by USL and Pittsburgh Riverhounds legend, Hunter Gilstrap. Hunter is the director of goalkeeping for the Riverhounds after playing in over 100 appearances for them throughout his career. So Hunter, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time to share some of your insight and your knowledge. No problem, Jesse. I'm happy to be here. Great, great. So Hunter, let's just, uh, we'll, we'll start with a pretty basic question. So when did you start playing goalkeeper? Was it in high school, middle school? When, when did you kind of get your career off, I can't, off the ground? I can't actually remember the grade, fifth or sixth grade. I know it was, uh, I know it was the summer of the 1994 World Cup. I'm really old, but uh, 94 World Cup was in the U.S. And, and I actually had a, like a classmate from school kind of talk my parents into driving me to overnight soccer camp with them. Uh, I, I was I played a bunch of sports. My dad coached everything. Uh, he was kind of your all-American, you name it, you know, football, baseball, basketball. And so I did all that stuff and even a little bit of soccer because, you know, he thought it'd be good for my coordination and general sort of athletic development, uh, which is still a thing with families, I think. But uh, I didn't really like soccer that much. I said yes because this was my buddy, and, and I think I think his, his dad even kind of paid for me to go, which is cool. Um, and it was there during that week. It was it was the week of the World Cup final in 94 where uh, Italy beat – or, sorry, Brazil beat Italy in penalties when Roberto Baggio missed over the, the bar, that whole thing. And, and during that World Cup and getting to be there and part of that camp, like I, I was like, wow this is cool. Like I didn't, I'd never really been exposed to international soccer prior to that. And, um, got to see that the goalies got to wear these really cool long sleeve shirts with crazy colors and designs. And at the, uh, at the camp, all the goalies got a shirt and I was like, well, oh, that's way cooler than my, my little t-shirt and, and water bottle and soccer ball. So probably all the wrong reasons to want to start playing that position. Uh, but you know, that's a big part. You got to wear cool shirts. So, so I was like, I got home from camp, and I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, I want to be a goalie. And she was like, what? <laughs> Only for the shirts, though. Yeah, it's, it's all about the gear. And, you know, the people that know me know I love gear, but the, the jerseys were definitely something else back in the in the 90s. So glad, I think you made the yeah. right choice, though. Yes. But um, yeah. so, so real quickly, so you touched on when you were younger playing a lot of different sports. So I know that's always a topic of conversation with a lot of coaches. And I know I see it a lot where – and I'm sure you see with all the goalkeepers you train where kids are starting to specialize specifically in one sport. And I know for me, I was a big basketball kid growing up and I loved playing basketball. And I think playing basketball helped me as a goalkeeper. Just what is your take on cross training and, and having the youth athletes play different sports you as know, they're growing up? I think the up? biggest problem that we probably have in our, in our culture right now in the United States and our youth sports culture, not even soccer specifically, but it's, it's this over-professionalization at, at a very early age. Um, there's almost too much accessibility to, to high-level training, and it's become ultra-competitive, and if you can afford to pay for it, then you have access to it. And even even we're getting to pay, I mean, it's, it's my, it's the organization I work for as well, just like every other youth organization out there now. Um, when I was coming through, even when I made the jump from like rec soccer to like a, my first you know club team, I was still training two nights a week, you know what I mean? And then you had your, your one or two games on the weekend and then the occasional tournament. And now it's your training 
two, three, four nights a week or, or three nights of training and then one night with this with this strength and conditioning coach or, or your club's providing that or you've also got a night of goalkeeper training with your club. And, um, you know, I think it's really making it hard for these families to to give their kids opportunities to also play other sports. And I think, I think that's a big negative. Um, I think the, you know, the kind of the model that our parents grew up with where, all right, in the fall, it's football season. So you're going to play high school football. And then in the winter it's basketball season. So you'll play basketball and then spring is baseball season. So you play baseball or, or track or, or whatever. There's just sort of these natural periods where there's only a couple sports available and you couldn't do it year round. And then, you know, the, I think the late 90s and 2000s, and, you know, people, people realized that, one, there was a market for it and money could be made. And two, um, there was, I mean, even more, I think the demand maybe even before the, you know, the idea that people could make money off of it and you know, everyone wants to win. And, and in, in sports where you've got a pay-for-play model, or the white collar sports, which soccer falls into the United States, unfortunately, um, you know that's what's happening. So, you know, I played, I did a year of high school football because my dad was a football coach, primarily just as a kicker. Um, I played, you know, youth rec basketball and uh, t-ball, coaches pitch, baseball, you know, those sort of things. And, and I think all that was good. I mean, I did sort of get highly specialized with soccer right around the time I was 13 with my school team, with my high school team, or with my school team, my club team, and ODP, you know, which then was, you had to play ODP if you wanted to be on that kind of track for college exposure and regional team, national team. It's, it's, there's different, different now, I think, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it'll get fixed. I think it's, it's got, it's kind of a monster now. It's kind of out of control. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's absolutely out of control. I mean, even actually Drew Brees, I think, just quoted an article in ESPN saying that he, that he, I mean, he's pretty much saying what you're saying is that the kids are too, way too focused right now. Like, go let them play basketball, go let them play, go let them run track, go let them play any other sport instead of specializing so young. Because in my opinion, I think it'll just burn you out. And, you know, I, you know, there are some kids who, who can just, who love the game absolutely and won't get burned out and great for them. But I think for majority of, younger kids you just start to see the burnout so much so much quicker and then you know it kind of just takes away from the love that they have for the game or that they first had and going back to what I was saying just Drew Brees said he was like I played so many different sports growing up and each sport you know that it all has its own individual skill set that will translate to soccer especially in this case goalkeeping in my opinion just because you know I, I think goalkeeping is just has a different component to so many different sports where if you're a goalkeeper, young goalkeeper, go ahead and play all the different sports because I think once you, as you get older and start specializing, you'll see how those translate and it'll help you on the field. But um, so like so like you said, you started specializing around 13, 14 when you realized, you know, you're probably pretty good at this thing. Let's go see how far I can take it. That led you to the university or Clemson yeah, University. Yeah, that's more right? how it went. Um, so so let, let's just talk about that whole recruiting process in how, how, how did it become successful for you and what made your life going to Clemson and kind of what, what sold you on Clemson? Well, my dad was, uh, like I said, he was kind of all American, everything. He was recruited to play football and basketball in college. And he actually played 
you played at Clemson as well, and so did his brother. And kind of since I was old enough to pay attention to sports, <laughs> I wanted to be a Clemson Tiger. And uh, as I started, made that choice pretty yeah, easy. As I though. started getting into the 13, 14 years old and starting to really love soccer. Uh, at the time, I only lived about 45 minutes away from there, so we would go and try to watch as many games as possible. And that's kind of where I became like a junkie, like wanted to see as much soccer as possible in person and wasn't on TV that much, so I would tape any game that came on with my VCR and, and watch those games over and over and over and over. And so, you know, I probably had 12 games that I would just watch over and over and over again, study what the goalies were doing and try to copy it in the backyard and um, you know, goalkeeping coaching wasn't really a thing, but for the recruiting process, I, I think having a, a dad that knew how that stuff worked, at least in the, at least in the world of, you know, football, cause he'd been a college football coach before then too. Um, he was really kind of able to kind of help with that. And I think, you know, not being an overly complicated process of making sure you, you get yourself in a place where these coaches can see you, whether that's at, at camps or in your, tournaments and, and games that you're playing and more importantly than that you're establishing first contact and then it was through hand not not handwritten but it was through typed up letters that you're actually physically placing in an envelope and sticking in the mail um i mean email was around and but email wasn't the primary way primary way that you do it so you used to be able to go to like a soccer store which was a thing too and you'd buy this book the ncaa book for whatever year like if it was you know, I was graduating in 2001, so I probably bought this book in like 1999, sometime during my sophomore year in high school. And in that book, it had every current NCAA one, two, and three coaching staff. Because websites were only kind of starting to be a thing, and, and some schools had some information there, some didn't. So um, it wasn't like now where just everything's point and click at your at your fingertips. A Google search, you can find a phone number, email. So. So you had to really invest yourself a little bit more uh, in that process. Um, but I more or less contacted every big school I would ever have any interest in going to. And um, through that process, you know, I think most of my interest was kind of more mid-major division one, uh, not your big, your big programs. Um, I think my, my top five was like uh, Dartmouth, St. John's, Vanderbilt, Davidson, and then Clemson was in there. Clemson, I kind of, because of the proximity, I started going to their camps when I was probably 13 years old. And I was probably very annoying because they, they knew me. They knew that I wanted to be there. They knew that I was just a junkie and they'd see me at games. And honestly, it's because of all that that I think as I started to show some ability that they, um, you know, took an interest and came to see me. And, you know, I didn't get a scholarship offer from them. And I, I was getting scholarship offers from these other programs. But, you know, I knew that I wanted to to be a Clemson Tiger and they were they were a top 20 program then um, with you know multiple national team players two national team goalies ahead of me in recruiting and most intelligent uh, you know soccer players would say I don't really think that's a good situation for me and I actually went as a fourth string goalkeeper recruit walk on at Clemson and I uh, said I want to see if I can uh, this is where I want to be I want to see if I can beat these guys out see what I'm able to do and um, you know, within a couple of years, was able to get on the field. One of those guys graduated and wanted to play in MLS. The other guy ended up transferring out because I took a spot. And um, the, the last two years that I was there, which were my junior and senior year, I split time with another national team goalie that kind of came in after me. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to be a pro. Uh, 
I didn't like splitting time. I'd actually kind of I've been benched going into the ACC tournament my, my senior year. And, you know, I said, you know what, I, I want to be a pro, so I'm about to graduate. I've got a fifth year of eligibility because I registered as a freshman. I think I should probably transfer. So as much as I did love Clemson and I love being, you know, at that school in Tiger, I made a hard decision and decided to transfer to a school where I thought I'd play most of the time or start most of the time. And so I went to the College of Charleston, which was a little bit of a step down in level and, you know, more of a mid-major D1. And we had a winning record, but we weren't going to win anything special. And, you know, but it went okay. It gave me the exposure that I needed um, to get in, get my foot in the door at the USL level. I actually thought I was going to be with the Charleston Battery. They were kind of watching me play most of that year, but um, through kind of a weird story, ended up going to Miami my rookie year instead. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I was going to say, so I, I guess it turned out to be the right decision because you ended up getting drafted by Miami. Um, and then then you kind of – so then you were just playing in the USL for a little – for a few years. And then you ended up – you stumbled upon in Pittsburgh, you know, the, the great city of Pittsburgh. So what – I mean, what, what led you to staying in Pittsburgh and enjoying your time in Pittsburgh? And just how – can you talk about how – how you became a successful goalkeeper and then you were you ended up being the usl goalkeeper of the year as well um so i mean what led to a successful usl career for you like i said earlier over 100 matches played so what what are some of the things that allowed you to sustain such a long and enduring career one of it's stupidity um (laughs) because anybody that knows much about pro soccer in the u.s knows that you know especially then at the USL level, which is just is, has always been either just below MLS or a couple steps below MLS. The kind of the minor league structure for U.S. pro soccer is always changing and, and looking like different things and new leagues come up and they disappear and teams come up and teams fold. And, you know, there's not as much money in it, obviously, as MLS. It's, it's going through a really positive period right now where there is a lot of money in it. Um, you know, I ended up kind of not – necessarily wanting to come to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh ended up happening because I uh, went, got finally got an opportunity in a major league soccer training camp with Toronto FC. Thought it was going to happen. I was with them the whole preseason and, you know, kind of last minute unexpectedly got kind of dropped after, you know, good performance and good feedback the whole way through. Um, and so it was really late and I was like, there's not much out there. My agent said, well, Pittsburgh will make you an offer. I was like, I don't know if I want to go to Pittsburgh. Um, but the other option was Charleston Battery again, and they were. I was actually in camp with them after that, and they wanted me to continue to trial and continue to trial and continue to trial, and I had the offer from Pittsburgh. And I just got to a point where I wanted to make a decision, and so I came to Pittsburgh. That year went really well. Um, that was the year that I got first team all league and goalkeeper of the year. Um, also, the year after that season, that you know decided to got approached by the club to start a goalkeeper academy program. And it was just through the Riverhouse Training Academy. And they're like, why don't we do goalkeepers too? You run this. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so we did that. Um, kind of during that offseason, contract negotiations again. And you know, decided because of that, you know what I mean, had a good year. Let's see. Let's do another extension. And you know, my time in Pittsburgh ended up the, – the reason I continued to stay in Pittsburgh and renew multiple contracts after that was because I also – the, the youth opportunity through the goalkeeping academy here and also some college coaching opportunities first at Carnegie Mellon and then at, uh, at Pitt and, and I was pretty pretty confident that I wouldn't be able to go to another 
you know, USL, NASL. I was kind of trying to pursue two different things, and because of that was was always very busy. And I think being very busy and being very involved with the, with the youth and, or with college coaching um, forced me to be very focused in the way that I approached both. And um, most guys that are playing soccer at the pro level have a ton of downtime and they're coming to training for two or three hours in the day. And then they go home and who knows, play video games, hang out. It's not a bad life. Um, but I was busy. I've always, I've always, I've been coaching and hustling since at least, you know, then that time. And, uh, you know, I, I think for me, a, lot, a long part of the longevity, at least physically, was to uh, strength and conditioning, that whole side of it. We had a, we had always had a really great director of sports science with us here, Mike Whiteman. Um, he kind of showed me some things and taught me some stuff and got really into Olympic weightlifting for a little while, which I think allowed me to, you know, play into my 30s and not have any issues um, and all those things that are really important and soccer players are sort of notoriously bad at you know that stuff making the time to be in the gym and, and to get strong and, and be flexible and you know so that I, I'd try to do that after training three four days a week and then I'd be coaching in the evenings um, and college coaching in the fall off-season recruiting so I know I was very busy and I don't know that there's a secret to it. I, I think um, earlier on when I didn't have all that stuff going on, I was probably way too focused on soccer. And I think a lot of times when, when you got these young guys and, and all they have to think about all day long is how, how their last game went or why they're not playing and, you know, it makes it tough. So I think a lot of the conversations I have with some of our young players now are you got to find some balance in your life. It doesn't have to be youth coaching. It doesn't, be physically tiring it doesn't have to be weightlifting it doesn't have to be that's something that you're into that you care about that's going to be a healthy distraction even if it's a relationship because too many of these guys can get kind of you know hyper focused and it can if things aren't going well in the part of the season or you're not playing or the team's not winning that it can be you know almost more, more negative than positive Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess the, that hyper focus kind of just goes back to what we were talking about, the the youth training and the burnout. You know, when you're constantly just focused on one thing, it it's kind of hard to relax. And and I'm sure, you know, I've not I've never played at the professional level. So, you know, I can't can't speak for them, but I can imagine if, if all you're thinking about is how you performed in one match, I can I can assume it takes a toll on you. But um, so you you mentioned you were coaching while you were playing at the college level. So how, did you see or did you notice anything that kind of helped your game while you were coaching? Did you kind of see things differently? And did you adjust how you played from noticing things as you coach? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Cause I, I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest things, biggest assets to, to being a coach while you're playing. If you have opportunities, especially with goalkeepers, um, I mean, I was always since, you know, from then to now, like I, I, I don't, I'm always changing. I don't know if it's always positive or negative, but it's, it's probably more with the way that I do things, but I, I don't usually run two sessions the same way. Um, you know, guys that worked with me two, three years ago, I said, oh, yeah, 
this is the stuff that we did all the time when we were working with Hunter. And if, and if they weren't with me now, it'd probably be pretty different. And I think, you know, going through that then as a coach, but also playing, you do see things that, you know, start to work or, or you know, benefit guys that you're or girls that you're working with and coaching and you're like oh maybe i should incorporate that into what i'm doing in games or, or maybe i'm doing this wrong because i see that they're doing all this wrong uh it does give you a another tool to kind of you know see what works and even experiment try some things with 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 the players that you're working with and, and then before you use them in your own game i think it also provides this sort of self-evaluation tool um when you see some of the mistakes that these the kids are making and, and you maybe see that you have some of those same habits and trying to come up with a way of, um, you know, trying to do things more efficiently. My, my big thing in goalkeeping has always been, you know, trying to do things in the most efficient way possible with, with how your body moves. So it's always been very aligned with, uh, you know, being an athlete, being, you know, I feel like if you're doing things the most most athletic way possible, and you know whether you call that being, I don't know, physiologically, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have the language for. It. No, no, I, I I get what you're saying. I mean, in in it, I think it kind of just brings us back to where we started. I mean, just being being an athlete, and and I've I mentioned this before too. Is just. I think as a goalkeeper, if you play these different sports, if you just go and try these different things and become an all-around athlete, it just – it'll help your body. Because, I mean, as goalkeepers, we do so many things that are just – that are different. And and we need this this skill set that is a lot different than than most athletes in different sports too. I mean, we do we do a little bit of everything in my opinion. So if, if you are able to move your body athletically, if you have great feet, great coordination, you know, you're going to be successful. So, so yeah, so, so let's, um, so now going back to finishing your career, you retired with the Riverhounds and then you took over as director of goalkeeping. So what, what is your philosophy for your goalkeeping academy in the Riverhounds? What are you hoping to teach the kids? What are you hoping for them to get out of and, you know, eventually hopefully take them to the next level uh, and, you know, and join the yeah, USL? Well, Sort of two different routes, two different paths um, when it comes to kind of what I do with the youth. The first is our RDA, the Riverlands Development Academy. That's all of our teams. That's grown significantly over the last few years. I think we're going to have you know around 30 teams with over 40 goalies this year. Um, so that's that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is the goalkeeping academy, which is which is separate, which is for any, any kind of kids in the area that don't necessarily play for our club, or maybe you're looking for um, additional goalkeeping to what they get where they're at, or don't get any goalkeeper training, or, or beginners or want to learn. And, and so we kind of have those two totally different worlds where I'm you know, highly involved with all these kids. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the goal, end goal of the of our team goalies is to prepare them for college or pro level uh, if they have the tools. And then for the goalkeeping academy, it's is to help those goalkeepers there reach what their goals are. You know, that goal might be to start for their high school team, or that their that goalkeeper's goal might be to play college soccer. Period. Or that that goalkeeper's goal might be, you know, just to try to learn 
because, I mean, we've got seven, eight-year-olds in that program all the way up to 18. And there's some very elite goalkeepers in our goalkeeping academy that play for other clubs, but we've got the full spectrum there. You know, I think within our RDA system, our team system, they're, we try to push them to an elite level and train them in an elite way. But it's it's the similar stuff. I, I think the more that the more that I do this stuff, the more simple my, my approach, my training becomes. Um, I'm pretty strict with technique. I think you have to be a technical goalkeeper with good habits uh, to set yourself up to be successful at a high level. Um, but, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, there's some leeway there because most of the time when you watch the most elite goalkeepers in the world train or play, they've all got bad technical habits and they've all got good technical habits. So um, trying to be well-rounded there. And then the tactical side of the game, having to prepare these, these kids to be successful. Uh, you know, the same way that our – basically doing the same stuff that our pros do. And, and that's, you know, playing, being connected and able to cover the space in behind your back line being able to manage and come for crosses, which I think is almost died in goalkeeping at all levels. And, and I'm disappointed in that being really brave in one V one moments and times where you leave your line, which I think is also completely died uh, in the modern world of goalkeeping, which is another topic for another day. And then clearly to be good with your feet. Um, but I almost feel like the, the, where we're at now with the, with modern goalkeeping. And if you can see me, I'm doing air quotes, but that is, is we've become way too fixed and focused on, on goalkeepers being good with their feet, almost to the point where even professional goalkeepers are struggling as shot stoppers, struggling as, as guys that can, or girls who can bail their team out and wonder where they need to be able to do so. You know, I think a lot of that even comes down to the professionalization. Coming a lot. It used to be that you're a goalkeeper because you were the tough kid on the team. You're the one that liked to get dirty and play in the mud. You're the one that maybe had a screw loose. And now, now goalkeepers, unfortunately, are oftentimes your same mentality as your center midfielder. And that doesn't, doesn't work very well if you're trying to be successful at an elite level. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's actually a really interesting point that I never, you know, I never considered. But, yeah, but you, I mean, you're 100% right. I think that a point of focus has almost – too much focus has gone on to how good are you with your feet. And obviously we want every goalkeeper to be good with their feet, but, but I think our first job is to keep the ball out of their net with our hands and, you know, not so much our feet, but so that's a, that's an interesting point you bring up. So what, what would you say has been your focus? So Riverhounds are currently six in the East in the USL standings uh, for those of you who don't know, but um, so what has been some really strong points and some things that, you want to work on with your current goalkeepers or I guess as, as the season has gone along. Well, we started off with two guys, um, Ben Lungard, who was on loan from the Columbus crew. And then Kyle Morton, who was with us last year, but tore his ACL after playing a handful of games. Um, then we ended up bringing in Austin Pack later into the program. He's a guy who has played a handful of years at this level. Um, you know, played you know less than thirty games, but has done a pretty good job where he's been and was well regarded. Um, so the thing that's different about us, I think, and our head coach Bob Lilly than than most other professional teams is we kind of only try to bring in guys that we think can play. 
um, they can be on the field as, as a number one leading our team. So, you know, most teams, I think they go out and they look for a number one, a guy they think is going to play the time, and then they look for a backup to cover in case of emergency, and then they look for a three, a guy that's going to mostly be used for training. And that, that backup could be comparable to the number one, but that's, that's sort of your traditional approach to pro soccer. Um, uh, we're more competition and performance-based, which is unique. And, you know, even took me some getting used to and when Bob came in here two years ago. But uh, and I'll, I'll be the first to say it, it's very hard on the goalkeepers to get used to. Um, but once they're once they're used to it, they're they're able to perform and they're able to handle levels of stress that I've never seen goalkeepers be able to deal with. Um, and in my experience prior to this, and I think that's a big part of being able to be a championship team. Um, but but our points of emphasis honestly aren't that different than what I just spoke about before. I mean, we spend the bulk of our time getting our goalkeepers aggressive and, and confident in situations where they're leaving their line. We think we, that's a big point of emphasis with us in preseason. So we're trying to get these guys. We almost push them to make mistakes by forcing them to play too high and getting them to come for stuff that they wouldn't normally come from early in preseason. Um, so that by the time we get into the season, you know, where, where maybe it was a ball where most goalkeepers are less seven, eight yards away and maybe swerving away. So I'm going to say away and drop to my line and prepare for the header. We want our guys, if there's enough high on that ball, to just to go, just to go make a play. Same thing with through balls, you know, high starting point, reading it early. If there's pressure on the ball. That means that you can cheat even higher. And as soon as that ball's in behind, you're going, you're committing and you're stuck in. If you need to be stuck in, um, or playing it with your feet as, as you get higher, and you know we, I'm sure we're, any any you know soccer critic that came to watch us would probably say that we don't play the most attractive style, and you know, we're not a build out team necessarily where we split our center backs and you know if a team's pressing us we're not going to try to figure it out with passing involving our goalkeeper we're going to play a little more uh, low risk style but if we have room to play we'll pass, um, so I think that's a little bit unique but but do well and we've had three guys play games for us this year and they've all done a pretty good job I think we're probably also a little bit harder uh, in analyzing performance on these guys teams those coaches think they'll mess up a goalkeeper's psyche if they criticize him for letting a goal go in but you know we're trying to win a championship so if a goal goes in we need to figure out why it went in and we need to figure out if there's a way that we can save it next time and if our guys can't handle that then they don't need to be playing for us so so that's kind of the approach, and like I said, it, it takes a little bit of time to get used to. But we're getting right now. We're getting good performances out of Kyle Morton. Um, but it, you know, if you were in our environment in our locker room, there there aren't too many times where we're like, "Oh, hey, really great job! Like that was a perfect game." It's more like, "Okay, you did a pretty good job today." But these are the three or four things that weren't good enough, and we got to work on those. Yeah, that's. That's a very interesting style. I mean, I, I love the competitive nature of it. I like not allowing any goalkeeper to be to get complacent. I mean, I know just speaking from my experience, my senior year of college, I got very complacent and it did not lead to a good preseason for me. But uh, obviously, once I realized that my coaches needed me to get a little more serious, it kind of clicked for me. But but um, yeah, so how do you handle dealing with, you know, two goalkeepers, maybe three goalkeepers who all could very maybe very easily be a starter but 
maybe one might, might, you know, it's always that one, one person might say, okay, I'm better than him. Why aren't I starting? So how do you deal with, you know, the different personalities, the different attitudes is, is that ever a problem in training or in matches? Um, I don't know that it's a problem. I, I think our, you know, our head coach is clear with our guys and their approach. And I think that what he does an excellent job with, and, you know, I'm supposed to do this relay, all the same stuff to the goalkeepers, the same with the same approach that he uses with the team. That's the expectation for me, which is, you know, hard as well. But, um, honest he's brutally honest and he doesn't allow for gray area and that's tip that's the gray area is typically where a lot of goalkeepers will struggle with and they go through the all right well why am i not playing because i think i'm doing better in training than that guy that guy's made mistakes in games why am i still on the bench but the coach is never talking to me but i don't really want to i don't really want to deal with the conflict so i'm not going to approach him um you know he does a pretty good job of not allowing those situations to creep up by telling guys why they're not playing, being very abrupt and upfront with them in training in front of the whole team. Um, so it, it's tough. And yeah, they're I, honestly, I can't tell you that I, I have a method for managing it and that it's just, that doesn't happen. It happens. Like if you're a pro and you're not playing and you know that you're good enough to be playing, and especially if you've played in the past, you're should You shouldn't be happy. If you're sitting down, you shouldn't be, satisfied so the fact that guys are a little bit pissed or a little bit upset and maybe they wear it a little bit on their with their body language or on their face it's not necessarily a problem as long as they're still performing and competing you don't want guys i think it's even worse when you when you get a guy who's just happy to be a number two because he wants to be a pro and he's going to be buddy buddy with the number one all the time I, i think i encourage our guys to have a healthy relationship with one another and i think they all get along well but they're fighting and they're competing and, and tomorrow Kyle's going to play again, but Austin Pack has been training really well and he's been told that he's going to get a game at some point soon. So he's not happy today at training and I can see that, but you know, we don't need to have a conversation about it necessarily. If he wants to ask questions, I'll, I'll answer those questions, but um, there's just not a lot of gray area in our environment. There's not a lot of room for guys to wonder why. Uh, I think that's the important, important piece. No, that I mean, that's awesome. That's a for at least for me, for my situation, I would love that environment. I mean, the the brutal honesty may hurt, might hurt, but uh, I think it's you know it's only going to be the best way for you to grow and and you'll finally understand you know why you're not playing and what what you guys see in them and and everything in that line. So I know you have to get going, so I'll ask you just one more question for any of the younger goalkeepers from middle school to high school to college looking to maybe play professionally one day. What what are a couple things, maybe one or two things that you are looking for when you guys sign a goalkeeper? For me, it always it starts with there's the two biggest things for me that that, I, that I'm looking for in any kind of evaluation environment is one that you have a technical base. So if you're new to the position, or if you don't have a regular you know goalkeeper coach with your youth club or whatever, I think it's important to find a way to learn the, the technique, to find a, a way to learn kind of the right way to do things. And that can be hard because everyone's kind of at the mercy of what's available in their area. So I think when you have these opportunities through summer camp or and I know that whole the summer camp sort of scene has changed significantly in the last 15 years with the rise in the academy system. But, you know, you got to find a way to get good training, to get to work with a coach who has 
who probably has played at the pro level or coached at the pro level, even if it's, you know, three sessions or a week, or I think that's so important because their, their knowledge of technique is going to be different than, and this is going to sound kind of harsh than even, than even a, a college goalkeeper coach. And, and there are a, a lot of amazing college goalkeeper coaches out there. And there's even a ton of them that have played at the pro level. And, and I think, you know, typically the level of, go, of goalkeeper coaching at the elite division one level is fantastic. But once you get below that, it's a bit of a crapshoot. And, and so I think if, if there's pro soccer stuff happening in the area that you're from, you need to find a way to get some sessions. And that's not an endorsement for us by any means. That's not what I'm trying to say. I just think that you need to get some professional eyes on you and what you're doing so that they can tell you, uh, you know, what you need to be doing better. Because it's not rocket science. You, you, you watch pro goalies train. They all more or less do things in a similar way. There's little tweaks and opinions and, and different stuff that maybe you see here and there, but nobody's diving backwards a ton. Nobody's losing shape a ton. Like if you don't know what those two things mean, like losing shape and diving backwards, then that's what I'm talking about. So um, I think that's the most important thing. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is toughness. It's toughness, um, bravery, whatever you want to call it, a willingness to – when you're called on to make a play that involves, you know, physical contact, you're not shying away from that. You're getting into that uh, in an aggressive way uh, and showing that that's, that's part of, you know, what you do. And I think those, if you give me, you give me a goalkeeper that even I can, I can even give a little bit on the technical stuff. If they're, if they're a good athlete and willing to be coached and are tough, like you give me a, a young, tough kid that's willing to be coached is pretty athletic and I can go a long way with that kid if they're willing to work and they, and they love it. Right. Yeah. No, I love that information. I love the insights and hopefully all the, the listeners out there will appreciate it too. So again, Hunter, I just want to thank you for coming on. Uh, so you didn't endorse yourself, but I will endorse you. If you are in the Pittsburgh area, head over to one of the Riverhounds Development Academy they are absolutely phenomenal coaches and they Hunter especially will get you to where you need to be. So that will be your endorsement. But uh, again, Hunter, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all the valuable information you no shared. No problem, today. Jesse. I, I have a problem with this stuff. I, I like to talk about it way too much. So I'm glad you were. Glad That's a good thing. Keep us under a certain because I can bore everybody to death talking about goalies. So. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right, Hunter. We'll talk yeah, soon. Thanks, thank Jesse. you. Take care.